the world is dying and it's your fault. Uh, the climate is changing and our politicians, they're too gutless to do anything to fix it. Shame on them. Our world is getting poisoned and big business is to blame. The forests are disappearing and it's those greedy farmers. They're the problem. Now, that's what I hear on the news just about every day of the week when I turn on the TV or when I read a newspaper. And, of course, that's a rather populist view. Uh, and if we were to visit some environmentalist blog sites, we'd find some very much more extreme views. Uh, but it doesn't take a genius to work out uh, that the world that we live in isn't the safe, harmonious, beautiful paradise that we would all like to think that it was. Wars, jihad, terrorism, people who blow themselves up amongst groups of families just hoping that they might be able to kill or maim a few mums, dads and kids. Genocide, murder, road carnage, rape, pedophilia. And that's just what people do to people. Um, what about natural disasters? And what about what happened in, in Italy this very week? What's the count up to? Is it 290 this morning? Sorry? 300 odd now. Okay. 300 odd killed in the earthquake in Italy. Our world is not a safe place. Uh, I did a bit of research, and here's the top ten natural disasters. In 1931, the China floods killed somewhere between one million and four million people. They don't even know how many people died. Um, in 1887, the Yellow River flood killed somewhere between 900,000 and two million people, also in China. In 1556... The Shanxi earthquake killed 830,000 people. In 1976, the Tangshang earthquake killed 450,000 people. So those top four were all in China. Of course, that's where the greatest population is. Uh, in 1970, the Bola cyclone in Bangladesh killed 375,000 people. In 1839, the India cyclone killed 300,000 people. In 1737, the Calcutta cyclone killed 300,000 people back then too, also in India. Now, here's one you, we probably all remember, or not all of us, but everybody my age and a bit older will. Uh, in 2004, the Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami killed 280,000 people. In 1920, the Haiyuan earthquake, also in China, killed 273,400 people. In the year 526, in Antioch, there was an earthquake, now that, that's modern-day Turkey, an earthquake that killed between 250,000 and 300,000 people. Natural disasters abound and their destruction can be enormous. And when I was preparing for this message and reading up about these natural disasters, I even discovered a natural disaster, a type of disaster, that I've never even heard of before. It's called a limnic eruption. Has anyone ever heard of a limnic eruption? No? All right, well, let me tell you what it is. It's sometimes called the lake overturn. It happens when carbon dioxide, which is dissolved deep in a very deep lake, 
suddenly erupts in a giant bubble. And it can be devastating. Sometimes it causes a localised tsunami. As this giant bubble of carbon dioxide comes up, the, it puts this big wave out, which, which goes out. But the death toll is usually more because of the bubble of carbon dioxide itself because it suffocates livestock and people. In 1986, it happened in Cameroon and it suffocated 1,700 people and 3,500 livestock. So there you go. There's another thing for us to worry about when we go to sleep at night, that a nearby lake might turn into a giant soft drink that burps and suffocate us in our sleep. But even in what we consider the natural world, the animal kingdom, Everything isn't beautiful and kind and good there either, is there? Yeah, um, have a listen to this. I've got this little song. It's a snippet. Uh, it's from um, a group called the Scared, Scared Weird Little Guys, and it's called Come to Australia. Thanks very much. Well, the Australian Tourist Commission has asked us to come up with a song that we could perform overseas, a song to help bring the tourists back to Australia. That's right. So we focused on the wonderful wildlife and the fabulous fauna that Australia has to offer. Red back funnel with blue ring, octopus, taipan, tiger snake, and a box, jellyfish, stonefish, and the poison thing that lives in a shell that spikes you when you pick it up. Come to Australia, you might accidentally get killed. Your life's constantly under threat. Have you been bitten yet? You've only got three minutes left before a massive coronary breakdown. Red back funnel with blue ringed octopus, taipan, tiger snake, adderbox, jellyfish, big shark. Just waiting for you to go swimming at Bondi Beach. Come on! Come to Australia, you might accidentally get killed. Your blood is bound to be spilled. With fear your pants will be filled. Because you might accidentally get killed. Nature is not always the, the beautiful, wonderful, safe thing that we like to think it is, is it? And sometimes it's downright dangerous. And in Australia, it's getting even more and more dangerous because we're not allowed to kill snakes, we're not allowed to shoot crocodiles, and they've all but put an end to catching sharks. Our nation are convinced that natural is better. But that's not always the case. Um, natural does not necessarily mean good. Even when it comes to tucker or even medicines, uh, some people go for the all-natural approach and, and they vow and declare it's natural, therefore it's good for us. And I usually burst their bubble by saying something like, ah, like arsenic and strychnine, they're, they're natural too. Um, the world, even in its natural state, is not a safe place. It's not the harmonious paradise that we'd like to think that it is. And if you've ever seen a crow picking the eyes out of a healthy sheep just so that that sheep will get weak and then it can start eating it alive, you'll know that the world is not beautifully good. In news and current affairs these days, one of the worst things that someone can be accused of is guess what? Does anyone have a guess? A climate change denier. Uh, the way they go on about it, you'd think that a climate change denier is something akin to being a war criminal or something. They used to be called a climate change, change sceptic, 
But now they get branded as a climate change denier because apparently the science is in. The climate is changing. Well, yeah, we've known that the climate is changing. It changes every year and it changes over decades. It's always happened. But now apparently the scientists have confirmed it. Climate change is in your hands. And you, a mere human, have the power to change the climate of a planet. Did you know you had that much power? Well, the scientists tell us that we do. And every time there's a flood or a drought or a cyclone or a vicious storm, or whenever a local temperature record is broken, either hotter or colder, we're going to hear about it because the world is so connected these days with media that it all, what used to go unnoticed gets noticed very quickly. And, of course, we hear climate change. Look, there's the proof. We need to take action on this, and we need to take action on it now before it's too late. You know what? There is something wrong with our world. There is something wrong with our world. It is decayed and it is broken and humans are responsible. But it didn't begin with the Industrial Revolution, as our so-called scientists would have us believe. It happened a long time before the Industrial Revolution. The world and its condition are in God's hands. If the world is in a state of brokenness, our God who holds the world in his hands has done it. Now, you might find that a little bit confronting, but that's what today's reading tells us. That God has done it. And he did it with a purpose. And if our world needs fixing, well, it's not in the domain for us humans to be able to fix. The work of global and universal renewal is in God's domain, not ours. What kind of human arrogance could possibly suggest that we could fix the world? When God created the world, he looked at everything that he had created and he said, it is very good. And it was. It was very good. But the problem is creation didn't stay good, did it? When Adam and Eve sinned against God and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all creation was cursed. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden, that paradise that God had created, and it would be paradise no longer. And from that time on, woman was cursed to have pain in childbirth. Women and men would not be equal. That's a consequence of the fall too. And a man, and man would be cursed with toiling for his food because from then on the earth would be cursed. And you lot living in a farming community, you know all about this. You know that when, when you let the weeds go to seed, you know the saying, one year's seeds, seven years weeding. We control weeds and disease and insects. Cattle folk have trouble with pimelia and we're thankful that we don't live in tick country. Uh, you have to keep on controlling regrowth and we're thankful that for now that we're actually still allowed to do that in Queensland. We have to vaccinate our stock against diseases. It is by our toil that we work against the curse of the earth. Even my veggie garden is cursed. You know, somebody gave us a sign. I don't know if it was somebody here, I don't know. Somebody gave us a sign. It's a very beautiful thing. Robin loves it. It says, welcome to our garden. I'm thinking of changing that sign to say, this veggie garden is cursed. 
See, I'm reminded of the curse every time that I have to go in there and pull weeds or dig weeds and every time my tomatoes get fruit fly and every time powdery mildew gets into my beans and every time those dastardly little sparrows eat my seedlings, I'm reminded of the curse of the fall. Mankind sinned and the earth was cursed and ever since then the earth has been groaning in all sorts of ways. We felt the groaning of the earth this very week in that earthquake in Italy. We can hear the earth groaning every time there's an earthquake or a flood or a famine or a cyclone. Every time someone's diagnosed with a cancer, every time we get a flu or a cold or the Ebola virus, this is the world groaning. We hear the world groan in the cries of the hungry. We see it in the gaunt face of the AIDS orphan. We see it in the recoil of a child soldier's Kalashnikov. Our world groans because we sinned and God cursed us and the world because of our sin. But the good news is, the good news is, this happened with a purpose. Our world is cursed with a purpose. Everything God does, he does for good. Our God is a good God and he has a good plan that he's bringing to fruition. Verse 20 says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, right? God did it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. God subjected creation to this futility, to this ongoing cycle of of good times only to be demolished in disaster, of leading a good life only to get a bit old and decrepit, uh, for life to be cut down by sickness or disease, peace only to be overtaken by war, the cycles of good seasons and droughts and floods. Ice ages and a worldwide flooding event. Cities are built and then earthquakes destroy them and then they're built again. There is this ongoing cycle of futility. It just goes on and on and we do our best to counteract it, but it just crumbles again. God has subjected creation to that which makes it groan for a purpose. What's the purpose? in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you know Jesus died not just to save humans, but to save creation? Did you know that? John 3.16, you all know it. God so loved the world. Now, the Greek word there is actually cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, not just people, the cosmos, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's plan right from the beginning was to redeem not just humans but creation itself, and he did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's big. 
Last week, we, we heard a couple of stories of Christians who have been suffering for their faith. And we talked about why Christians suffer for their faith rather than deny Jesus. And the answer is, when we suffer for Christ, we suffer with Christ. And when we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ. But guess what? It's not only Christians who are going to be glorified. And it's not only your spirit that's going to be glorified. Your body is going to be glorified too. Your body is going to be renewed. Your physical body, but also this physical world is going to be renewed. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Up on the screen, you got a picture there? Up on the screen, that's the typical cartoon picture of heaven. And this is how most people picture glory. You know, they reckon this is how we're going to be in our final state. Now, if you have that kind of picture of glory in your head, I want you to erase it immediately. I don't know where we ever got that picture from of, of what it's going to be like to be in glory. I suspect it's probably some form of escapism. There is so much trouble. There is so much hardship in this physical world that we're a part of. We feel we just need to be, have to escape from it. And, and so we seem to have developed this desire to escape to some bouncy clouds up in heaven. Does anybody still have that image of glory in their head? When the Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking out on our doors, they get their greatest success by preying on a general lack of biblical knowledge in churchgoers. If you're a churchgoer, they will generally put two points forward to try and convince you that what your church has been teaching you is a lie and that they teach you the truth. Now, the first point that they'll usually use is, is the Trinity. And I'll say, did you know the word Trinity isn't in the Bible? And um, a lot of churchgoers will fall right into their trap and, and, and disagree with them and say, oh, no, no, it must be because our church talk about the Trinity all the time. It must be in the Bible. But no, they're quite right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Um, it is a word which we use to de- try and describe how God describes himself in the Bible. So in the Bible, we very inc- clearly encounter God the Father, and yet God the Father and the Son are one, aren't they? And so, so Jesus Christ is also God. And then the Jehovah's Witnesses, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, they like to think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of force. But the Bible very clearly portrays the Holy Spirit as a person. And so the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the three persons of God are in the Bible. And that's just a word that we use to try and to, to describe it. And if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness tell you that the word Trinity isn't in the Bible... Agree with them. Say, yep, I know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but let me talk to you about the three persons of God who are in the Bible. And then you can set them straight and you say, did did you know the word Jehovah isn't in the New Testament? Uh, Because it's not. Nowhere nowhere in, in the Greek, early Greek manuscripts does the word Jehovah or Yahweh appear in, um, in the New Testament. And the only modern translations that you'll find is the Jehovah's Witness one that that they've written themselves. So that's one point that they use to try and deceive us. 
But the second point of ignorance which, ignorance, which they very often prey on, and this is the reason I'm bringing this up, is they will ask you sometimes about heaven and paradise and about when Jesus returns. And, and when Jesus returns, will, it, will you be in heaven or will you be on earth? And a lot of churchgoers are under the impression that when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be up in heaven and we're going to be bouncing around in the clouds of heaven. But we're not. Please know this, we are not. The Bible very clearly teaches us that God is going to restore the heavens and the earth and actually more than restore. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, let me substitute that word. We don't say behold, do we? You know what behold means? Look, look at that. Look, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. When Jesus returns, he's not going to take us up and to be heaven with him to bounce around on a, on a cloud trampoline. The old heavens and the old earth are passing away. We'll know what global warming is when that happens. Creation itself is going to be renewed. And glorified. And God himself will live with us in this new glorified earth. So please don't get caught out by the JWs. I hope you know your Bible well enough to know that you will live with God in his glory. In his glorious new redeemed earth. All the brokenness and destruction of the earth will be undone. And the earth will be reconciled to God, a new heaven and a new earth. As I wrote this message um, and talking about the brokenness of the world, I couldn't help but think about the Greens. I'm sorry if I get a little bit political sometimes, but I couldn't help but think about the Greens. They have become quite a powerful and influential force in our land and their ideology is supposedly based around environmental issues and making this world a better place to try and restore the health of a broken, groaning world. And in the light of today's reading, I can confidently say that their approach and in their policies that they most hold dear, they have utterly failed. Utterly failed. If they're attempting to save the earth, they do it in exactly the wrong way. They've made creation their God, or more precisely, they've made themselves their God, and creation is their domain or their kingdom, and they've totally rejected God in the process. They sin against God by rejecting him. They reject his laws, they reject his commandments, they reject his lordship, they reject his son, and they reject God's children. In our political landscape today, there is no greater anti-Christian, anti-God force than the Greens. And almost every policy that they have is against God. 
against his laws, against his children. They are anti-God and anti-church. Oh, how ignorant they are. They are an embodiment of why God cursed the earth. You see, creation itself is waiting with eager anticipation. It's like creation is, is craning its neck, just looking forwards, looking forwards to the time it's waiting for the children of God to be glorified. Because with the glorification of God's children, creation will be glorified. If you want to fix this earth, pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because creation will be glorified. Creation will be renewed. Creation will not groan any longer. The lion will lay down with the lamb and the lamb will not be frightened. This is our great hope. At the present time, we groan. Creation and the children of God groan together. If you're not groaning and and looking forward, expectingly waiting for Jesus to return, well, your heart's not fully right with God. Because creation and the children of God groan together. Because life is tough. Life is painful. Life is filled with troubles and persecutions and hardship. And so the children of God and creation groan together, waiting for Christ to return and to make all things new. And our great hope, well, it's not a wishful hope. It's a sure hope. It's a certain hope. Our great hope is for when we will be glorified, we will be renewed, and so will creation. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more wheelie walkers, Gordon. You won't need that. There'll be no stiff joints. There's going to be no salt scolds on the earth. No disasters. No troubles. No persecutions. Just our glorious hope of living in the glory of God in the glorious new world. How's that sound? Anybody um, a bit keen to get there? Yeah? Okay. I hope you all are. I actually worried about Robin today. She sort of mentioned that um, some of us might even, and she looked directly at me and said, die. And I thought, oh, does she know something? When you're doing your kid's story, I don't know if you realise you did that, but you did. Some of us, no, you said some of us might be dead. When Jesus returns, some of us might still be here, and some of us, and you looked at me, might be dead. Um But we are patiently waiting for the appointed hour. We don't know when it's going to be. It's a date that's marked on one calendar and one calendar only. It's marked on God's calendar. And we just patiently wait for that time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's actually so humbling to hear that Creation's waiting for us. Creation's waiting for the the revealing of the sons of God. 
Lord, I want to thank you that when Jesus returns that all troubles will be gone, that this world will be recreated and renewed and that we will be living with you as our king in this world. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day. Lord, my prayer is that that you would do whatever it is you need to do in us, that our hearts would be set on eternity. Sometimes we have such a good life, we have such good times here that we get diverted from eternity and, and we have a very current worldly perspective. God, please change that in us and help us, whether we be young or whether we be old, to fix our eyes on you, to fix our eyes on eternity to fix our eyes on the glorious kingdom. And Lord, I pray that when we pray, your kingdom come, that that this wouldn't just be a mouthing of empty words for us, but it would be a cry from our heart, Lord, bring your kingdom. Because Lord, as that reading shows us there, creation itself is craning its neck it's just waiting for that time so that it can stop going through this groaning that it's going through and we can stop groaning come lord jesus amen